Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 37 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And Peter, this week we have so much to talk about. We've got milestones. We've got uh, women's hockey cancelled, a lot of hockey cancelled in that in that sense. And uh, mm-hmm. most of all, we've got the big, bad, dirty Leafs to talk about. Uh, but first <laughs> off, how's it going out your way? Yeah, those, those Bay Street bullies are starting to come back right now, you know. Um, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Uh, I, you ever get that feeling where, not necessarily feeling, but that itch to just watch something multiple times? It's kind of like a favorite song you listen on repeat. But I was watching one movie in particular this week where it was on and I just had to watch it every single time it was on. And Moneyball is up there with my top favorite sports movies of all time. And I don't know why. I I, I just got to watch it. I don't know if it's because of the similar path that the NHL is going with the analytics game and stuff like that and the new wave of thinking. I don't know why, but hey, I'm just I'm absolutely loving that movie nonstop every single time it's on. I still think it's crazy that with that movie to think back to the fact that I was alive while that was going on. Like you see a lot of these sports movies and it's things that Mm -hmm. happen, you know you know, early eighties, late seventies, all that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, you know, I think like, I think field of dreams, field of dreams is one of my favorite all time movies. Um, and you talk about like shoeless Joe Jackson and all that stuff happened way before I was even, uh, you know, an afterthought for my parents. Yeah. Um, but, uh, then I, I, I think about things like, you know, Moneyball, and I'm like, man, I was around for that. I just did, had no understanding of what was going on and, mm-hmm. and the analytics and the, the money that they, you know, threw into this team and, and, and how they put all that together. And, and you're hundred percent right in looking at like, now it's a numbers game in, in a lot of sports, um, you know, basketball, maybe aside football aside, but you talk about the analytics that they have in baseball, the analytics they have in, in, um, hockey. And, you know, it's a different game, the way that teams mm-hmm. are built. It's not the same as it used to be. It's huge. And yeah, like you said, like I must have been about 10 or 11 when that Oakland A's team was assembled in 2002. And man, I to think about what was going on behind the scenes or like what was being portrayed in that movie to what I saw. Man, I just saw games being played. I didn't think what was going through Billy Bean's head. No, absolutely. I mean, I I, I think of names like Giambi, and and mm-hmm. that just you know it stands out to me. So, blast it's, from the it's, past. It is, and it's crazy to think about. It's almost, uh, in a sense, just it's almost like a beautiful mind the way that the numbers were flowing through his head and seeing all these analytics and everything like that. It's just it's amazing that how some people think that way and and see the game differently. But yeah, what a great movie and. Um, one of many for Brad Pitt. Anytime I think of Brad Pitt and, you know, you can, my, my wife will, will attest to this. Anytime we talk about, you know, a package coming in the mail and I don't know what she's ordered. <laughs> I always pulled the, uh, the line out from the movie seven, um, Brad mm-hmm. Pitt right at the end 
what's in the box? And uh, <laughs> she she always knows it's coming every time. Every time we get a box in the mail, she knows it's coming. So she's almost ready for it every time that we get one. So go to um, line. Yeah, go to line. Great, uh, another great Brad Pitt movie, and uh, yeah, Moneyball, good movie for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, we we will get to a guest a little bit later, and one that uh, you know I, I kind of hyped a little bit going into this week's episode, this week's recording. Obviously, recording yes. Sunday night, our new time for the time being. Um, and it, I was very excited about this interview, and you you were the one who booked it. Um, Caleb Dahlgren, uh, former yeah. Humboldt Bronco, author of uh, Crossroads, his book just released. Uh, um about you know just the tragedy and overcoming that and and getting to where he is today um obviously like i said we'll get into that uh, that interview in a little bit but uh well, it, it, just a great interview and and i'm very excited for everybody to hear it and and hopefully get some feedback on it as well absolutely yeah i i was very happy to come in contact with caleb and have him come on the show and he's you everyone is going to listen to it It, it, he's just a fantastic human being and not going to spoil it we'll just save it for when it comes out or when we get to that point but yeah it, it was definitely a really great interview and great uh uh chatting with him and for him to come on no matter what yeah no absolutely so with that said, let's jump into some quick NHL news and hockey news. Uh, we'll start on the hockey side of it, just the game in general. Um, some terrible news for the OHL uh, draft eligible players as the OHL season was officially canceled after dragging them through what seemed to be the longest hopeful whatever you want to call it. I mean, they, they dangled the carrot in front of these players for so long saying, you yeah. know, we're still hopeful. There's going to be a season. Don't worry. Then they canceled the Memorial cup. Then they canceled the OHL season. And it, you know, it just such a tough look for the CHL, such a tough look for the OHL and for these players that aren't going to get the opportunity to really showcase themselves for the upcoming 2021 draft. And mm-hmm. even then, you know, they're talking about, extending the age of eligibility to play in the OHL, which would in turn actually hurt players coming into the OHL. It's just right now it's a complete mess in terms of what the OHL is trying to do here. And um, like I said, just it really is a, it's such a hard thing to see happen for these guys. And um, you're talking about the future for some of these kids and to see the OHL season canceled, it, I mean, I for me, it hurts. It hurts hockey uh, north of the border. Yeah, and we had Andrew Parra come on, and he did, he expressed his you know his frustration as well as the, his ability to try and get the league back on track, and with his initiative to you know get the government on board and get the OHL on board, and it just didn't work out. And any chance that there was a glimmer of hope. Or anything like that and with the cases rising and everything that's occurring right now it ultimately led to that decision but like you said it it goes back to you know when the qmjhl started it the whl as short of a season as it was they went back to playing and this is a disappointment because they could have done something in september on october where it was you know a second wave but it was in the early stages 
And again, you implement the strict measures like many of the other leagues that have played. It, it would have worked out. And I'm all for the safety of the players, but it could have been done. The QMJHL looked like they got it together. They had a couple blips. They had a shutdown, but then they reopened it up. The USHL was going great. Leagues overseas were going great. The WHL, as I just mentioned, while you do have the cases, if you follow everything to a T, it would work out. And I'm just really disappointed that, you know, some of these players, the the ones that just got drafted into the OHL that are looking for their first rookie season, the overagers who had one last chance to try and win a championship, and get more teams on board to try and sign them the contract when their career is done, it hurts. And th- there is a positive where some of the players right now from the OHL are playing in the upcoming U18s, but that's just a select few that are getting a chance and compared to others that may not. And it's it, it's tough. It's disappointing. And I'm what's going on in the OHL right now, I have no idea. But man, they, they got to get it together or else they're going to be in trouble. Well, it's like you said, I mean, there was opportunity there. And I think that's mm-hmm. what that, that's what hurts the most for these players. Yeah, we talked to Andrew Parrott. You mentioned it. Um, but he's he's also a guy who's had an opportunity to go play somewhere else as well. Yes. Uh, we talked to G- Gavin Bryant way back when we started this podcast uh, mm-hmm. draft pick this this offseason of uh, the Owen Sound attack. He's a guy who never even got to start his OHL career, yeah. never got the opportunity to try out for the Owen Sound attack. So, I mean, there's players out there that didn't even get the chance to really get their careers underway. Um, and now it's it, it just it's a huge mess. And and we've mentioned it before. We're not a political podcast. We're, we don't want to get into all the ins and outs of politics and all that bullshit. But at the same time, the way that things have been handled in Ontario to get us to the place that we are in Ontario you know, it, it's it's really eighteen Miller. Yeah, at this at this point, it it really is. I mean, it, it's a wreck. It's a yeah. it's re- really is. And and there was opportunity to get the OHL season underway, even if it was a short season, 10, 15, 20 games. Get these guys on the ice. Get them playing yeah. a few games. You know, get their feet underneath them. Um, but. Uh, you know, I think it was a missed opportunity, and I think I think they know that, and I think that's why they dangled the carrot the way they did. But I think it's also, you know, it, it was irresponsible of them to dangle the carrot and and continue to give these players hope. Yeah. Um. You talk about a guy like like Parrot who who, you know, started this movement and what a great movement, and yet now, here we are still talking about players who are not playing. Mm-hmm. And he, he, there was no way of them facilitating this once Ontario hit, you know, new highs in terms of COVID numbers. Yeah, there was no way it was going to happen. They had an opportunity early on to to create possible bubbles, have teams in bubbles, and yeah, it's not it's not easy. But these are guys that want to play. These are guys that are looking to create a future in hockey and. You know, I think at that point there's a willingness to go into a bubble and, and make it happen. But yeah, missed opportunity, and um, you know, I think it, it really hurts the OHL overall, uh, especially when they when they talk about possibly making an extra year of eligibility for overagers. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but that said, you know, the OHL wasn't the only thing canceled over the last little bit. Obviously, we talked about the Memorial Cup being canceled as well. But the Women's World Hockey Championship was also canceled. And this, to me, might be the most mind-blowing announcement. I just, there's so much disappointment here. And I I completely understand it because, look, they were supposed to get underway a, a day after the announcement in Nova Scotia, you know, get the training camp going. Mm-hmm. A lot of opportunity for for young players for the national team, um, and it's almost like they they gave up far too easy. And I, I say that because they found a way to get the World Juniors done, they found a way to get the NHL playoffs done, but all of a sudden it comes to Women's World Hockey Championship, and we're talking about how easily they gave up on a possible bubble situation in Nova Scotia. Yeah, this is very discouraging. I mean, you saw the reaction. The players, everyone online, everyone is expressing their frustration and anger. Um, It was canceled due to the concerns regarding COVID-19, obviously, amid rising cases over out east. And I, I get that the cases were rising. The issue is there was no plan B in place, and they just gave up way too easily. And you meant, you you basically just mentioned the World Juniors. They had to cancel it, but they found a way to get it done. They found a way for the U18s to get it done. I mean, this tournament was canceled last year, but they were able to find a new location. Instead of Ann Arbor, they went to Texas this year. So I don't understand how they were able to get that done. But the Women's Championship, they just set, threw it in the towel very, very quickly. And... This tournament is always exciting and exhilarating. I always look forward to it no matter what. And after the NWHL playoffs this year, man, this tournament was going to be a real boost for women's hockey all around. And hearing the fact that they're probably going to reschedule it, they should have had something in place. And you saw the frustration uh, from both I mean, two iconic uh, hockey players for the USA, Hillary Dan and Kendall Coyne-Schofield. Hillary Wright, Hillary Knight wrote, the cancellation of the Women's World Championship at the last minute this week was just another reminder that women's hockey continues to be treated as an afterthought. Makes you think that it does seem like that. And then Ken uh, Coyne-Schofield said to learn that there are no there was no contingency plan and that double IHF is letting 250 of the best players in the world in the world return to their homes with we are seeking new dates is simply unacceptable and it is like Hillary's nailed it on the head it just seems like another afterthought that you know yeah okay cases are rising we're going to cancel it nothing else i mean how does it, like that's a, that's just a major kick in the gut right there yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, it, it it is a reminder that, you know, women are still fighting for equality when it comes to the game of hockey, and it, the fact that they had no idea of what to do in a situation like this, mm-hmm. look, there were options. There were options. Yeah. There was just no plan in place, and that's 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 the worrisome part is that, yeah, they, they talk about rescheduling and, and, you know, getting it done, but... 
the fact is is that you had a, you had a timeline, you had a schedule in place, and because you couldn't put together a, a secondary plan, knowing damn well what was going on in the world when you you decide to go this route in the first yeah. place, um, it, it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating from the standpoint of all the women who were supposed to go. Uh, and let me mention that there is there is uh, one player that's playing for Clarkson right now who was supposed to go to that uh, that training camp in Nicole Gosling. This was her mm-hmm. opportunity to try out for the national team, and now she doesn't even get that opportunity. Think about those players. And this is this is exactly what I was talking about. Going back to the OHL for a second, there are players that were looking for an opportunity to make their team, make the squad they were trying out for. And yeah, it might just be the fact that you're trying out, but playing with some of, you know, um, best of the best, some of the best, the best. Like I know Nicole was, um, I was talking to her aunt actually recently and she, uh, she was partnered up with uh, Renata fast and like somebody she has idolized for years. Yeah. And now that opportunity is just gone just like that. Yeah, no, it it really is disappointing, and <laughs> there's no other way around it. And like, and, and you're, and I'm still going over the fact that you're telling me that yeah, again, cases are rising, and it's it, it is a difficult situation knowing that there are variants of concern right now, and I get that. But you're telling me that you couldn't replicate what was done for the World Juniors and their bubble system. I mean, you you have a plan staring at you right in the face. Like I I don't get it. I can't comprehend it at all. Yeah, no, it does. It, it, I mean, it really does make sense. And um, I mean, if you look look at the picture as as a whole, it does make sense because right now, how for how long have have you know women been fighting for a little bit of equality in sports? And and yeah. we've talked about it. Um, it's been all over Twitter. It's all over social media it's it's something yeah. that you know continues to be uh, a source of, of discussion but um yeah it just i think it just struck a lot of people the wrong way the fact that they were so quick to cancel it um it's disappointing it really is and mm-hmm. you know it unfortunately it is what it is and and hopefully they they do they do get the opportunity to, to get it underway and and um at some point get an opportunity to try out for this team. If you're Nicole or, or try yeah. out for, or, 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 you know, just get a chance to play. That's what it's about. Just get a chance to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say this. If Nicole is listening, if she is paired up with Renata fast, I will be looking forward to that pairing because that would probably just be a really great pairing for Canada. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, like think about it. This is a this is a young girl who's getting to live out her dream of playing mm-hmm. for for your country. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So, like you said, if Nicole's listening, we hope that, we hope that you get that opportunity. Yes. And uh, you've got you've got the guys at sticks in the six behind you. Looking forward to uh, seeing you wear that maple leaf. So, hopefully, we can get you on at some point. Um, <laughs> but uh, if not, continue doing what you're doing and. Uh, We'll continue talking about it. Well, always. That said, let's jump over to the NHL. And uh, we we have a few things to talk about, but uh, nothing more uh, Nothing more than... We, we 
essentially we want to get to our interview. We want to get to the Maple Leaf talk. So we're going to run through this very quickly. Just a bunch of minor notes through the uh, through the last little while. Uh, Riley Stillman signed a three-year extension with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, the New York Rangers signed Ford Carl Henriksen to an entry-level deal. So some small notes there. Um, in terms of the NHL's Ironman streak, we talked about Marlowe not long ago and what you know his continued Ironman streak. But listen to the top five Ironman streaks in NHL history. Now this was from April 23rd, so it has changed. But Doug Jarvis 964. Keith Yandel now owns the second overall at 9.15. Gary Unger's at 9.14. Patrick Marlowe, 900. And Phil Kessel at 8.91. So three current Ironman streaks in the top five. Wow. Cons- like, does anybody, does anybody talk about Keith Yandel enough to note that he's played over 900 consecutive games? They should. Like he's, he's he's literally under fifty games shy of breaking the all time Ironman streak. And at the beginning of the year, we talked about it. He almost got sat as a healthy scratch. That would have been a real kicker. That would have been really bad if if he would if he missed out on that. Considering how close he is, I mean, yeah. Shortened season, he he'll probably get to that point next season if he you know continues to stay healthy, and that just goes to show the durability of these players. I mean, they're built and they're healthy, and they have avoided injury for such a long time. Looking at Yandel, Marlowe, and even Kessel too. Like even when even when he was with the Maple Leafs, he rarely missed any game time. He played through whatever he was playing through, and he still put up good numbers. So the fact that they're in the top five is nothing short of outstanding because they deserve honestly if any of those three continue to play on after this still remain healthy and it's those three battling out for the top spot i'm all for it because they deserve it wholeheartedly yeah and can we just touch on on marlo for a second uh took sole possession of the all-time games played record Topping Mr. Hockey himself, Gordy Howe, now has played in 1,770 games. The original or the the record held by Howe was 1,767. So he's three games past uh, Howe's all-time record. I mean, doesn't have the Stanley Cup. Yeah. But is it out of the question? And... We've talked about this before where I am I do believe the NH or the Hockey Hall of Fame is a very saturated Hall of Fame when it comes to allowing players in. But is Patrick Marlowe a hockey hall of famer? I mean I wanna say yes. Given the fact that he and not just this streak alone, but given the fact that he's played internationally and he's had some success there as well. Yeah, it doesn't have the Stanley Cup. Yeah, it's unfortunate, and I really wish he did get that chance. But I, I it, it's hard to not let something like this accomplishment go unnoticed. You know, this is something big. And you know what? There's going to be a point where someone's going to probably break Patrick Marlowe's streak because he's holding it right now. Um, again, you look at hardware 
as the main factor for it. But you know what? Patrick Marlowe's meant so much to the game. He's had a major impact no matter what. And I think he deserves it. I mean, I'm just to go back to Matt Sundin, he hasn't won a cup. He's got a couple of hardware uh, playing for Sweden internationally as well. He's in the Hall of Fame. So I think based on that merit, Marlowe should be in as well. I was going to say, I, I believe if I could be, I could be wrong, but uh, Sundin, and I'm going to look it up right now. Um, I do believe among Swedish players, he holds a few marks as well when it comes to the NHL. So mm-hmm. he he is the all-time leader in points by a, by a Swedish-born player at 1349. Closest to him is Daniel Alfredson at 1157. Um, in terms of games played, he's also second to Nicholas Lidstrom. Goals, he's by far the leader, um, 120 ahead of Alfredson. And assists, I believe he also leads, or sorry, he is ranked third all time. So, I mean, one of the top Swedes to ever play the game. You mentioned he does have the hardware when it comes to international play. He also is the all-time point leader for the Maple Leafs franchise as well, which could be broken, you know, assuming that Matthews stays with Toronto over the next mm-hmm. number of years. But you're right. I mean, Sundin's a guy who never never raised that Stanley Cup. Um, for me, I think Marlowe, the longevity alone, makes him a guy that should be voted in. And yeah. he has played internationally for Canada. He has he has represented the game respectfully as a as a player for a number of years, and. I mean, I think a, the fact that he owns an, a record of that magnitude, like the only the only player close to coming to, to reaching that goal is Joe Thornton at 1672, 1672 yeah. games played. That's 98 games behind Patrick Marlowe. That's another two seasons to break Patrick Marlowe's record. That said, they were both born the same year. They're both kind of on the on the downslope of their uh, their careers. I don't think Thornton ever gets to that point. Next mm-hmm. in line is Zdeno Chara at 1600. Uh, to be honest, I don't think there's that much left in the tank for when you're talking about a guy like that. So, yeah. is is this record even within reach for any players? I mean, you think about some of the top players who have been playing for a number of years. And they're not even close. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crosby's dealt with injuries. Ovechkin's dealt with injuries. Um, you know who 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 else do you have besides besides Big Z? Your next guy is Dustin Brown at twelve twenty six. You're not even close. You're five hundred games away from breaking that. And we all know Dustin Brown's not sticking it out for that much longer. Yeah, same thing with Eric Stahl too. He's at twelve eighty four. Yeah, and so, he's at 69th overall. Justin Williams, he he's retired. He's at 80th 80th overall. So, yeah, it's 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 and and, and it's difficult too. Like everyone say, oh, to play this many games is not a big deal. Yeah, it, it kind of is a big deal, and it really is difficult to stay healthy for so long and play as many games as you have. It just goes to show how 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 
players like Patrick Marlowe have taken care of their body so well. We hear about, you know, the ice bath that he goes to to, like, rejuvenate and keep his body in shape and everything like that. The work that they put in the offseason to stay in game shape, it's just unbelievable. So you know what? To think that, oh, playing – if anyone I, – I haven't heard anybody say this, but if there are people saying that, oh, games played, it doesn't really matter, it does matter. It It, it really does. But on top of that, it's the adaptability as well. Like, I mean, this is a guy mm-hmm. who's played through how many generations of the game? Um, you're talking about going from a, a game that was more physical – um, more, more demanding on the body to a game that now is, is more about speed and skill. And yeah. yet he's still there. He's still playing for San Jose. He's still making an impact. Um, albeit one that's more of a veteran presence in the lineup than anything else. But the fact is he's, he's still getting it done. Yeah. And for me, like that, that's the most interesting part of this is that he's been able to stick it out in a game that has, has changed and adapted over the last 22 years in which he's played in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I mean, it's a great debate and we could sit here all night and talk about this. We could do a full episode <laughs> on the Patrick Marlowe debate. Um, but at the end of the day, um, it comes down to the, the, you know, the panel that votes him in and, and whether or not he's he's a Hall of Famer. That said, looking at the way the Ho- Hockey Hall of Fame does vote players in, I do think that he will eventually see his name enshrined on Front Street in Toronto at the Hockey Hall of Fame. Absolutely. If he doesn't, I'd be pretty, I, I'm not mad, but I'd be very disappointed if it doesn't happen. I'd be, I'd be shocked. I'd be yeah. shocked. Um, that said, talking about two other future Hall of Famers in the NHL. Zidane Chara, the fifth defenseman ever to play 1,600 NHL games. What say you regarding Big Z? The only other four, Chris Chelio, Scott Stevens, Larry Murphy, Ray Bork, and then there's Big Z at 1,600. Uh, getting into the Hall of Fame? Oh, I'm not even thinking the Hall of Fame at this point. I, I do think he'll get there. He's got the cups and everything else. But I'm just, in terms of what his career has meant to, you know, yeah. overall. Overall, yeah. I mean, let's face it. it Zidane Chara stems from a love-hate relationship going back to the Battle of Ontario when he first started playing with the Sens, right? I hate him. <laughs> but, I mean, I mean... Yeah, it's it's a love-hate with Ottawa, it's a love-hate with Boston, but you can't deny the fact that, you know, he's been a valuable asset. He's been a reliable defenseman, and to get to 1,600 games is a, an impressive accomplishment. To be in the, the top five alone right now, that's really great. And the fact that he's dealt with injuries the last few seasons and still managed to hit this mark, it it is impressive, no matter how you look at it. I think the craziest part about this whole thing is that he never started out as a hockey player. I yeah. mean, this is the guy who started out as a wrestler. Okay. Um, and, and when he used to, when he got drafted by the Islanders, this is a guy whose ankles looked like they were going to snap every time he took to the ice. Yeah. And somehow he became one of the most dominant defensemen in the NHL. Um, from, from his days in Ottawa, you know, partnering with Wade Redden to his days in, in Boston, becoming the legendary defenseman that he is. Nobody wanted to throw the puck in, in Big Z's corner. 
You knew what was going to happen. You knew damn well what was going to happen. I mean, we remember the day when he ragdolled Brian McCabe. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think anybody's ever going to forget that. Brian McCabe looked like he was picked up by his his curly red hair and thrown around like <laughs> he was just a simple raggedy ant. That's yeah. all he looked like. And I know, I I know, I sure as hell know as a Leaf fan that I didn't want to play Big Z in the playoffs. And yet, every single year, it seemed like we were playing Big Zidane Chara. Yeah. Lucky enough for us, we got the better of him when he was with the Ottawa Senators. But when he was with the Boston Bruins, he got the better of us. So, flip side of things right there. But yeah, I mean, he's one guy that you did not want to go up against at all. And, you know, that Boston team that won the Cup back in 2011, that was a strong team. And he was leading the charge on the back end. He, He was a feared player. And... During that Vancouver series, I don't know what happened. He must have got them going because, man, he he may not have looked like a player at first, but he played his heart out no matter what. And, yeah, he had his run-ins. He had his moments and questionable hits, especially, you know, the Max Pacioretty incident where, you know, it, it, it things did get ugly for Chara, especially the way that he played physically. But, you know what? He, you, you can't argue with the results that he had. I mean, it, it, it's simple. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I mean, I, I think today, even today, he's still sure he's slowed down, but he's still one of the biggest guys in the, oh, he's the biggest guy in the league, but he's a guy that nobody really wants to go up against. Cause he, mm-hmm. he shows no fear. He shows, uh, he he plays with a a, a lot of respect, but he, when it comes to the physicality of the game, he's not afraid to to drill somebody into the boards. And I think that's that's what made made him such a feared player when it comes to you know offensive pe- players playing the puck into his in, into his corner. And you know, kudos to him for reaching 1,600 games because it's not an easy feat. And as, as you can see by the the fact that there's only five defensemen to ever reach that, that, uh, that plateau. I mean, great know, company, great company to be with great yeah. company to be with. And, and without a doubt, a first ballot hall of famer, without a doubt, he's got the cups, he's got the games, he's got the numbers. Um, without a doubt, I, there's no question he'll be there at some point. For sure. No argument here. Sidney Crosby, who, this season joined only Gretzky and Gordy Howe as um, one of three players to record their 16th season of a point per game average. Um, I mean, was there really any doubt when this kid was drafted into the into the NHL that he was going to be a f- phenomenal talent? Uh, and, and at this point, he's just living up to that that hype that's surrounded him his entire career. I mean, yeah, who didn't see this coming? I mean, we can sit here and talk about how great Crosby is from his days in juniors till now. I mean, he just doesn't stop, and that's expected knowing the way that he plays and the fact that he's just a generational talent. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's great. It, there is no other way around it. He uh, he was always going to be in an elite company no matter what. And look at that hockey reference right now. Like, yeah, Crosby has the 16 seasons of being a point-per-game player. But looking at the career points per game, 
another generational talent just surpassed him as fifth all time in Connor McDavid. And I'm wondering what's going to happen right now with two more generational talents that are playing at the upcoming U18s in Shane Wright and Connor Bedard right now. You have four outstanding players right there that are going to match each other and push each other to the limit to try and set those records. So right now is an exciting time to be a hockey fan because Sidney Crosby's still going, Connor McDavid is there, and you got another Connor and Shane Wright coming up the rankings very quickly. And I think this is going to be really fun to see what's going to happen afterwards. Yeah, crazy to think that, uh, you know, he also surpassed Malkin and Lemieux for the most 20-plus goal seasons uh, when, when we're talking about Crosby here. But, mm-hmm. you know, give me a generational talent every three years and I'll be happy because this this it continues to push the league to boundaries that, you know, you you never thought it could. Um, you see Crosby come up and then all of a sudden you see, uh, you know, McDavid come through and he's having the same kind of run. Um, and, and, you know, even you talk about guys like Ovechkin, who's just an absolute sniper, 730 yeah. goals over his career so far. Malkin, um, Kane, Tavares. Malkin, yeah. And the Stamkos. list just continues to grow, right? Like, and, yeah. and you mentioned like Shane Wright. Uh, Connor Bedard, like when these kids come in, uh, Matvey Michkov, like the names are just going to be unbelievable. And that's yeah. what makes this game so amazing to watch is that there are generational talents. There are guys that are going to change the game and, you know, assuming they stay healthy, push the boundaries of what, what has forever been, you know, records that, people assume are going to be unbroken mm-hmm. you know who thought that there was ever going to be a player that broke wayne gretzky's goal record would i mean there's that there's a possibility be beat. absolutely whoever thought that his games played record was ever going to be beat i'm sitting here now saying that marlo's record of games played will never be beat but that's i mean who's the next iron man who's mm-hmm. the next guy that's going to go out there and play 22 straight seasons with every game you know, it's just, it's unheard of. And that's, that's what makes this so fun to watch. That's what makes this game so fun to, to talk about. And I mean, you talk about a guy like Crosby who, who did have, you know, he suffered injuries over his career. He's, he's missed an entire season essentially, but still 1,318 points in 1,031 games, 35th all time when it comes to points. Yeah. I mean, Sitting two points ahead of him is Alexander Ovechkin. I mean, this is a guy that, like, he's missed so many games, and yet he's still among the top 35 in terms of all-time points. That just shows his passion. It shows his willingness to still put up points no matter what. I mean, he's dealt with and, – and, and again, everyone thought that that concussion that he suffered was – Everyone thought that his career was over, and that would have been a huge blow to the hockey world. But he came back, and he came back stronger than ever, came back more determined. And, man, I I remember watching his first goal back. He comes in, he shoots the puck, and then he just gives off like an F, yeah. Like, you heard it through the camera when he came back and scored that goal. I mean, it was just absolutely phenomenal that his passion and his drive matches nobody else in this game right now. Yeah, no, it's it's truly unbelievable, and 
you know, for him to keep riding the way that he's doing that and, you know, um, a point per game average over his career, like that's just ridiculous for him to, to average that over 16 seasons is even more ridiculous. So, um, you know, consistency, consistency, that's, that's (laughs) what we talk about. Consistency, consistency, consistency. I mean, there's no question that this kid is, I I call him a kid. He's a year older than me, but (laughs) Sid, the kid is always going to be, um, you know, just a huge part of what this game is. So I think that's, you know, it is what it is. He's, I think he's got a lot left in the tank and I'm excited to see where he takes it. Even when he's well retired and he's in his sixties and his seventies, everyone's still going to refer to him as Sid, the kid. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to talk about a team that's not even part of the NHL yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, officially, unofficially, they are part of the NHL. The 32nd franchise in the NHL, the Seattle Kraken, are already being sued. Yeah. (laughs) And not not for like a minimal amount. We're talking about $3.5 million in damages. Yeah. By a restaurant called the Kraken Bar and Grill. Bar and Lounge. Uh, Bar and Lounge, sorry. Yes. Um, I don't want to get sued either, so <laughs> let's make sure it's right. But it's it's Seattle's University District. Um, I, I mean, we laugh, <laughs> we laugh because come on, yeah, come like come on, three point five million. Is this it? You think this has anything to do with a bar potentially going out of business because of COVID? I don't know. I, I don't want to speculate on a lot because I'm not a law. I'm, I don't study law. I don't know what it is. I've studied a bit of trademarks and, you know, copyrights and stuff like that in university. But here's my thing with this. It's $3.5 million saying that they irreparably damaged its brand. I don't understand how that can happen when, yes, I know, I get it. It's a punk rock bar where you know you cater to a certain niche and a certain crowd but the fact that you know you're suing an nhl team because you share the same name and i even think was the kraken voted by fans i think it was among um they they took it into consideration and my understanding is that they're suing them because the the seattle kraken team um named their restaurant the kraken bar and grill Yes. And that's why yes. that's why they're suing them is because they're the Kraken Bar and Lounge and now they've got the Kraken Bar and Grill. But my thing is that is not so punk rock to sue an NHL team. I don't yeah. think that's very punk rock. <laughs> Do you think that's very punk rock? I think punk rock is the exact opposite of that. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> where where have we gone? When when did that get lost in this generational gap that punk rock was the the cool thing in punk rock was to sue an NHL franchise? Yeah. And it's funny too because the bar owner claims or I'm reading something off from the score uh uh 
post by Josh Goldsmith. The bar owner claims that the team's newly planned restaurant is sure to ruin the Kraken bar and its near decade old cherished image and reputation as Seattle's last dive bars. Uh, they want to prevent them from using the Kraken moniker and any additional names going forward. That's not going to happen. You're going up against a very profitable NHL franchise right now with owners that, you know, have probably had the best lawyers. And I understand where things can get confusing, especially if they want to open up the same bar that's along the same lines. And I get that. But I remember back when the Vegas Golden Knights came out with their name and there was a lawsuit there in regards to the U.S. Army parachute team where they were nicknamed the Golden Knights. And they seem to have settled, and the Golden Knights are still the Golden Knights. Um, if they need to change their name of the proposed bar because it is conflicting, I totally get that. But if you want them to change the actual team name because of your bar and you think that you have the right to it, I mean, Seattle Kraken and Seattle uh, Bar and Lounge, it's two different things. I mean, there's Kraken Rum. You really think that the Kraken Rum was like, you know, mad that Seattle Kraken took that name? Actually, no, they're partnering up, I think. No. I don't know off the top of my head, so I'm not going to comment on that one. But I, I've got a couple of quick quotes for you from uh, K5, um, a story uh, about about this whole thing from mm -hmm. the owner of the bar. Um and I believe her name is Kat Colley. So Kat Colley, along with her husband Dan and their friend William Nupp, own the uh, own the bar, the Kraken Bar and Lounge. And this is how they are claiming that is damaging to them. Um, since the Seattle Kraken announced the name of their bar and grill, there's all this confusion immediately. Yes. You know. You yeah. know. Are you now a hockey bar? Do you sell NHL tickets? So that's where the confusion lies. Um, she goes on to say, it's harder to find us and it's confusing. And people have asked if we sold our business and I'm concerned. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, she goes on to say, we're not anti-hockey. You know, it's just that it this similar name does directly affect our business. So apparently what is happening is people are all of a sudden showing up at the bar thinking that this is now a Kraken related, um, in Kraken gear. Yeah. Yeah. Which for me doesn't, don't you think that brings a little bit more business to a, a dive bar? I mean, I watch a lot of bar rescue and the thing that John Taffer prioritizes making money. No, it doesn't matter if you're a successful bar or a failing bar. You want to make money. And I get you want to cater to that crowd. But at the same time, you have more people coming to your bar no matter what. Why wouldn't you want to capitalize on that? Yeah. And I, I you know, I think, I guess any media is good media. Any coverage is good coverage. And maybe this is just a, a quick ploy to get a little bit of recognition in a in a tough time with everything going on i don't know but at the end of the day do you really think they're going to change their name they're not going to no. not a chance just, just not because a chance. 
just because some local bar says they don't like it because of the fact that hockey fans are coming over to there, they're not going to change their name. And we saw, and again, I mentioned this, the Golden Knights. If they settle it, great, whatever. They're not going to change their name. No, absolutely. And there's, there's a small piece of me that when all this is said and done, I would love to throw on some cracking gear, um, you know, show up at Cat Collie's bar and just chug like six beers um, <laughs> and ask them if they sell NHL tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Side note, Kraken Rum is a sponsor of the Seattle Kraken. So, yeah, they're on board with the Kraken brand. There you go. <laughs> Um, lastly, before we get to our interview, I do want to talk about the NHL start date for the, for next season. As of right now, the NHL is targeting a start date of October 12th, um, which would be essentially a week after, you know, their normal start date for an 82 game regular season. Chances are, um, that they will play an 82 game season based on where we sit when uh you know the off season's all said and done uh which would mean that there is a possibility that that could also be pushed back based on a delay in the stanley cup playoffs this year so still a lot up in the air i think this off season is going to be much like the last where you don't really know the dates for a lot of these things until last minute Mm -hmm. um that said i think the nhl is trying to get back on track in terms of creating a little bit of normalcy for not only their fans but their players as well yeah and and i believe pierre lebrun was the one who broke this news about the potential start date and then having spring training you know normal time in september that they normally would and again it is a target date a lot of hypotheticals, a lot of what ifs, but everything does continue to work out and vaccinations are going. You could possibly have fans going to see these games more so right now. And like you said, get that normalcy back. Um, you also have to worry about the Olympics, too. I mean, it, 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 coming up in 2022, it's not going to be like 2018. And that should be a good sign that they have something in place where they got a lot of scheduling to worry about right now. You got the off season, the start olympics what's going to happen with that so yeah a lot of variables a lot of working pieces right now but if they got that as a start date then we at least got the schedule intact no more mid-season starts 56 games full 82 game season and again at normalcy that's that's all we really want to get to at this point right now Worth noting that Ontario might be the only place that there's still a lot of questions surrounding uh, when it comes next season. Just of course, saying. of Just course saying. it is. <laughs> Not actually, but I, I mean, we're sitting at a point right now, both in Ontario, mm-hmm. um, where, I mean, man, there are so many questions. There are so many questions. Yeah. So. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Go Doug Ford. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> My God. With, with that said, let's uh, let's throw it over to uh, uh, you know a guy, a, a young guy who's just. I mean, it was such a positive interview. It was such a positive, you know, time to talk to this kid. Um, I really enjoyed the interview. Like like you said before, I don't want to ruin it by by giving away anything. So uh, please tune in as we uh, throw it over to Caleb Dahlgren. 
everyone. We are very happy and honored to have Caleb Dahlgren with us here on the Sticks in the Six podcast. Caleb is a surviving member of the Humble Broncos bus crash and recently released his book, Crossroads, My Story of Tragedy and Resilience as a Humble Bronco, chronicling his hockey career, the tragic events that unfolded, and the perseverance he had afterwards. Caleb, we can't thank you enough for coming on to the show. But first of all, hope you're doing well and staying safe. And how are you doing? Thank you so much for having me on here, you guys. Looking forward to it. Uh, I'm doing good, thanks. Just in Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan right now, keeping it safe and steady with my family. Living at home, it's the first time I've lived here since I was 15 years old. So uh, back and at it, and it's been fun. Nice family bonding time, so I can't complain whatsoever. And home-cooked meals are a bonus, too. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Always a good thing with that. Um, so I guess we're going to get started with this. Um, First off, I just want to say this book was absolutely phenomenal, very emotional, eye-opening, and it from very early on in this book, you set the tone with a lot of the topics that have been very continuous in terms of themes throughout the book. Uh, you mentioned adversity and hardship that you face, being a type 1 diabetic, your father's condition after his car crash, um, topics and things like you can't control everything, appreciating the little things in life. Um, once things happen in your life, you start to get that sense of what's important and try to change your outlook and perspective. For some that try to find that positivity in their life right now, how are you able to do that and how are you trying to shed some light on that? Yeah, so for me, I think all our situations in life, lots of it sometimes, most of the time actually is of our control. And for instance, even my diabetes of my control, me losing my uh, friend, my teammate, and my personal trainer, my almost losing my dad. All of that was completely out of my control and even with the crash too. Um, so the way I view it is to focus on things I can control, which is like how I want to react to that situation. And even right now with COVID, lots of it is completely out of our control. We can't control other people. You know, we wish we could. We wish we could get everyone to hop on board and get vaccinated and stay home and stay safe and all this and mask up. But we can't. We just got to control ourselves and hopefully lead by example and influence if we can. But at the end of the day, we got to make sure that we're focusing on ourselves and really taking the time to reflect and think about what we can do to be better people. And so um, that was one of the things I want to move forward was understanding that even with the crash and the situation there, I couldn't control who's here, who's not here, or my injuries. Um, I couldn't control um, even like the fact that the semi-driver went through the stop sign. I can't control any of that. All I can control is how I want to react to it, how I want to push forward, and how I want to live my life to the fullest for those who aren't here, but also for myself too. So um, those are some of the key themes that I've found throughout my life and then finding that positive in the grind that we do have because we all have our own grinds, whether it's family relationships, work, school, sports. We all have our own grinds, so to actually enjoy it because life is short and it can be gone in an instant as I learned uh, quite young on, so... Caleb, I, I'm still working on the book and, uh, I, you know, I, I really appreciate a lot of what you say because, you know, you mentioned that, you know, there is times where people don't understand that they can't control everything in their life. Was there a point where it kind of just hit you that, you know what, I, I don't have control over this? Was it, you know, something that came, you know, after the following the, the, the accident and, and, and uh, you know, from there, I mean, how do you, how do you maintain such a positive attitude? Yeah. So for me, I learned that quite a young age. I honestly say with diabetes was like when I really first got the grasp of it. Never really sunk in though until I'd probably say um, my dad's situation was probably one of the bigger ones where 
I was like, okay, I, I literally can't control this at all. Um, I just got to make the most of my situation for him and try to play to my best abilities and honor him. And so I think that was kind of when it really hit me. But uh, within an instance of a crash, it was after I was sitting in a hospital bed and I was just asking all these why questions and like, why am I here? Why are others not here? Because I had people beside me and behind me who passed away. That just didn't make any sense whatsoever. And then why did this have to happen to us? What could I have done better? I wish I could change it. All those thoughts creep in your head. But at the end of the day, you literally can't change anything. You can't, I, I couldn't go back and change time. I couldn't go back and make one second delay or whatever. There's nothing I could have done. And that was hard, but I had to accept it. And I think that's the part that people forget is the actually acceptance of it and accepting that they may never find a why for their questions. And some of the questions are going to be unanswered and that's just life. And so for me, that was one of the things that I took away. And it was probably say a week or week in the hospital, probably um, maybe a little bit less. Uh, I stopped asking the why questions. I focused on, okay, what can I do moving forward here? Because I'll never get some answers. I have to learn to accept that. And even with my diabetes, I'd never get an answer or losing my personal trainer or my teammate never get an answer even my dad being sick and almost passing away would never get an answer so all of these things in my life have happened beforehand that i knew that i would never be getting answers for and this was another situation obviously a lot more severe and there's not just one but 16 affected who i consider to be my family but it was something that i had learned from a younger age on to accept that there is no why and that we need to focus on the positives and so up to today, I think right now <clears throat> that helps is I have like a gratitude journal. Um, and I just, I remember I write down when I wake up in the morning, I write down three things I'm grateful for. And even today, one of the grateful three things is that I have a house over top of my head, food on the table, and that I get to share my story with other people. And those are three things I'm very grateful for. And uh, it's something simple too, like even that we're still here and we have a podcast, like the fact that we're even on this podcast right now, we have the technology to still communicate like this and be safe about our communication is something special too. So yeah, there's tons to be grateful for in this world. And uh, even being here today, we should be grateful for the day that we have. So um, yeah, I think for me, it's just enjoying the grind in life and finding the positive in every day because there always is a positive. There's always a negative too, but there's always a positive in every day. It's to focus on that positive. Yeah, you just mentioned it right now. Like you mentioned the the why me was always very synonymous throughout the, the whole entire book. But like you just said right now, you know, it's out of our control and you try to find that positivity uh, even in the hardest moments. And two hardest moments for me reading in this book was uh, chapter 12 where it had four blank pages where it just signified, you know, the days where you you couldn't remember anything about the crash until you actually woke up and then the actual chapter 16 going through everything about living through with your experiences with your teammates your coaches and everybody else that was involved how difficult was it writing those two or those chapters especially chapter 16 where it was basically a mini um eulogy for each one involved yeah chapter 16 was definitely difficult i'd say the hardest one by far. And even the days I don't remember was hard too, but I didn't really have to live that again. Cause I just didn't remember it. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I was really going through it. It was actually when I woke up in the hospital, that was a really tough part was the hospital aspect and reliving that. And what I saw, what I felt like all that was hard, but um, 
for me, the blank pages were something I wanted in the book for sure. And you're right, it was signify the days that I don't remember. I was in a state called post-traumatic amnesia where you're able to like walk around and converse with people, but you don't remember it. And so like I have completely blank phase of it. And some people don't walk around, some people are in a coma or whatever, but for me, I was actually talking to people and it's conversing. I have zero recollection. Um, and so I wanted to really have a big signifying impact within those blank pages to really show that there's nothing I remember. And those days are literally wiped from my memory. And then for the 16, you're right. I wanted something to be a tribute to those 16 that were here. I wanted to be a tribute chapter. And not going to lie, there's not many tribute chapters out there. I tried doing some research to see if there's people who wrote chapters about lost ones, but there's not, there's not really one for 16 out there. There's maybe one chapter for like talking about how much one person meant to them, but not an actual tribute chapter. And so for me, that was one of the big things was to honor those who aren't here and to kind of show the world how amazing they were and how highly I thought of all these individuals and the things I could take away from them because there are 8 billion people on this earth. And the fact that I had a connection with those 29 on the bus and the 16 aren't here is pretty special, I think. And so if you look back at it, it was difficult, but it was also nice to kind of share their memories and what I thought of them. And it also provided me healing too, so that if people ask me later on in the future, I thought of, uh, say, let's Brody Hines, I'd say, go read chapter 16. And like, it's just nice to have that out there for the world to see and know that how much I felt and loved everyone on that bus. And so um, it was cathartic, but it was definitely the most difficult chapter. So five weeks at number one on the Canadian's best or Canadian bestsellers list. Um, obviously, you mentioned it's a, an opportunity for you to share what uh, what these people meant to you, what uh, what you know, what memories you had, what it you know, how it signifies your life and your growth as well. What was it like working with a guy like Dan Robson to tell your story? And at what point did you realize that you were going to write a book about uh, your experience? Yeah. So Dan Robson was absolutely amazing, but kind of backtrack. So I didn't really think I was going to write a book my entire life, not going to lie. Um, in 2019, there was, I did one speech and uh, it was about my life. Actually, it wasn't about diabetes because I've done tons of work with Delgren's diabetes a JRF and like doing advocacy and doing speaking engagements and all that. So I was up there on stage and it was about um, diabetes. My dad also was with my dad and then how I recovered from the Broncos situation. Um, and so I'm up there shaking, reading this speech and uh, I ended up finishing it. And afterwards person was like, Hey, you need to write a book. And I literally was laughing. I was like, there's no way I'm writing a book. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm a student athlete right now. There's no possible way I'm writing a book. And they're like, no, like your story could really touch other people. So I said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of put it to the side, not, not going to write a book. Kept on doing these. And I kept on getting more and more people telling me I should be writing a book. And um, I even was getting DMs from people saying that I'm impacting their life and that they want me to write something about it. Um, and I just kept getting more and more. So I ended up talking to my agent, Jeff Loans with Talent Bureau. And I was like, hey, what's going on here? Um, is this normal? And he's like, no, it's not normal but he's like, your story does really impact other people's lives. Um, and so I kind of sat with me and I was like, still don't really think I should write a book. Uh, so he, I guess my agent at the time was getting some offers and some people talking to him about book. Um, and then I actually talked to Haley Wickenheiser about it. I was like, hey, 
what do you think about this? And she said, yeah, I don't know. Your story can truly impact others. Like I, I would a hundred percent think that you could help other people with your story. So I still kind of sat there. I was like, don't know. And the whole idea behind it was that I didn't want it to be all about the Broncos. Cause that was not my life. And it was just one part of my life. And I didn't want my life to be centered around the Broncos cause it's not. Um, and then there's also the, how are the families going to react to it? How is I going to feel internally about this and sharing my story? And how is I going to put it out there? And how is I going to be able to help others without it? Like without it, hmm, trying to think of the right way. I just want to make sure I was able to help others in the right way possible and not have it come across as a wrong way because that's not what I want. Um, and so I was able to donate porcelain proceeds to stars, which is awesome. And that's one of the big things that actually made me want to write this book was actually to help that organization. And then, um, at the time though, I was still like, I don't think I'm going to do it. So I kind of backtracked a bit. Um, and then I was sitting in class one day and my professor was like, Hey, uh, talking and he was like going on a little spiel. And he was like talking about the government and everything going on. And he was like, if you truly want to impact the world, it starts with you. And then that was when it really hit me. Like, I do want to make a difference in this world. I've been trying to help others my entire life and my story could probably help some people. So um, I thought if I could help maybe one or two people share my story, then it'd be worth it. And so I uh, talked to my agent, talked to HarperCollins, talked to Halen Random House and chose HarperCollins. And then um, ended up meeting Dan after. So it's where Dan comes in the picture. And uh, Dan was incredible. Uh, HarperCollins like, oh, you got to work with this guy. Um, and so I met with Dan and we instantly, instantly clicked. And he's such a professional and an amazing person too. And he was really respectful throughout the whole process. So um, yeah, he was, it was incredible working with him. And then Jamie as well helped out tremendously too. She usually proofreads um, just before he sends it off to me. So they work in a great team. Uh, yeah, so I, I was so fortunate to work with them. And I give Dan tons of credit too for this. It was a collaborative effort and we both had tons of good ideas to put in. And uh, I'm very grateful for his support throughout this process. Your head coach, Darcy Hogan, he was a firm believer of making connections with the community, taking responsibility and giving back. And that's where, you know, your foundation for diabetes has come in, which has been a major significant part of your life. The proceeds going to stars who helped out in uh, everything that was involved in, in terms of transporting patients back and forth from hospitals. How much of an impact did he have on your life and to influence the decision, the decisions that you make to be that kind of role model for people right now. Yeah. So I'd say Darcy definitely had a major impact on my life. And the cool part about coaching is that you can have an impact on people in so many different ways. And Darcy really want to impact us as human beings too. Obviously you have the hockey side to us. We, at the end of the day, we are human beings and the hockey is just a sport that we do play. And so that was one of the big things he wanted to reiterate. And even with our core covenant family first, I really felt like our team was a family and we were all connected like that. And uh, for us to help out a community, he always pushed us to do that. And I was fortunate enough to be able to try to be out there as much as I could in the community and to give back. And he was so supportive throughout it all. So I think that really meant the world to me was just having his support throughout it. And uh, especially the diabetes being launched, he was so for it. He was pumped about it when I talked to him about the program, absolutely pumped. And then, even with all the stuff I was doing with JDRF and the community in Humboldt, he was super, super excited for that. So um, he was he was definitely one of the main influencers in my life. 
and it even makes me want to continue on more because of him and to continue giving back to continue helping others um i think my purpose on this world is to truly help others and make a difference in their lives for the better and for positive and so that's why i want to be a chiropractor i have so many patients that come in on a daily basis and i get to heal them from their pain and i think that's probably one of the biggest things for me and it'll make me super happy in life I'll never have to work a day in my life let's say um so i think darcy has had a huge impact on me as a person and has really developed me into an overall community-minded person because of his influence how much has the diabetes foundation grown uh, from a couple of years ago till now yeah so i was fortunate enough to after so i guess i'll come back right here i committed to york during my season in humboldt verbally Nothing was official though, and um, they said we'll wait until after playoffs. So obviously our playoffs got delayed um, due to the crash and the whole, we got out of the playoffs and the SJHL kind of moved forward. So anyways, after a little couple of weeks or so, they came to visit. They were coming for a Mark Cross Homo Strong tour, and uh, they offered me a spot to be a line again. And uh, I could be a line whenever I wanted, first year to third year seven years, five years down the road, whenever I was ready to be a lion, I could be a lion. And so they also said that they wanted me to carry on my Dolren's diabetes. And so I was super, super pumped about that. And uh, that meant the world to me because when I first talked to them in February and had the verbal commitment, that's what they said too. They said, we want you to bring this program to New York and continue it. And that was one of the big things when I was picking a school was to be able to continue it on. So it worked out perfectly. And, uh, I had my first ever York Dye Beauty in Humboldt, where it all started. So it was absolutely beautiful, kind of the full circle with that. And then um, it's grown. So I've, I think I had, when I went to York, I had, I think, I want to say eight or nine, maybe, maybe 10, probably around there. And then when I went to York, I got another six. I'm at 16 right now. And I don't really want this to be a huge program per se. I like it to be more individualized and so I can actually be close and reach out to these diabetes and really mentor them and let them grow and have any questions answered and always be there for them. Cause I feel like once it gets to like hundred, 200, I'm not going to be able to have that personal connection with their families, remember everything about them or all the small details. And then hopefully this creates a ripple effect so that I do impact, let's say these 16 lives, and then they go out and they go and impact another 16 lives. And then those 16 lives that impacted create another 16 lives. So it's kind of just having that ripple effect so that hopefully one person can pass it on to another, to another, to another, and then uh, creates more awareness around the diabetic community. So um, it has grown, which is great. I'm not too sure where I want to take it now that hockey might won't be in the picture with chiropractic studies. I'm not sure where we're going to go with that. So I have to talk to the diabetes and actually meet with them all here the next kind of month here in May. So looking forward to that. Caleb, I know you said you don't, you didn't want the book to make it seem like the Broncos were the center of your world. And, but following the crash, one of the things that Peter and I have talked about, especially on the anniversary of the, of the crash was the fact that, you know, around the nation, around the, the North America, around the globe, there was, you know, people putting sticks on their porches and it was such a small gesture, but, what did it mean to, you know, somebody who was involved in the crash that, you know, there was this solidarity, not just with the hockey world, but just in terms of, you know, people just around, uh, around the nation hearing about the crash and, and, you know, it, it impacting, you know, more people than just those actually impacted by it. 
Yeah, I honestly had no idea when I was in a hospital how big it was. And I'm not even gonna lie, like you're in this little small place and you're on your own floor and you're with your family and friends and your old your teammates and their families and their friends and you really don't realize what's out there. And of course, like you see it trending on social media and all that, but you really don't understand. So when I did leave the hospital, I literally, everywhere I went in Saskatoon, especially, there was green and gold on uh, like street signs and on lampposts. And then there's also go Broncos go on signs, humble strong on signs. Every second or third car had a humble strong sticker. Um, it was absolutely crazy. And then when you go in the neighborhood, every single house had their sticks out. And I even know of people that went out to Canadian Tire and bought a stick just to put on their porch because that's how much it touched them. So to hear and see these stories is absolutely incredible. And it truly did help me heal. I know personally, this whole support around the entire, not even just Saskatchewan or Saskatoon or Canada, it was the entire world truly helped me heal. And I'm forever grateful for that because knowing that you have somebody in your corner is always special. Um, and that was something that I will never take for granted but also even made me more aware of people who don't get enough support too in their tough times in life and how we need to be there for those people too. So for me, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it leaves me speechless today still talking about it because I can't fathom how much it's helped me become better and heal and really grow. Caleb, in the book, you said it, you're, you said it best yourself that there were times where you were, you said that you were a miracle yourself. I mean, dealing with uh, being a type one diabetic, going into those, you know, shocks and everything, the the crash, the injuries, still managing to come out on top. And there were even times where doctors are questioning with your injuries that, you know, there's no way that this should be happening. Many always try to look for signs of one or like try to see signs of a miracle. But what happened to you truly is that there is no other way to describe it. Yeah, I, I honestly, it's pretty crazy just to explain to people how severe my brain injury was and where I'm at today. And the fact that it leaves like well-renowned Dr. Charles Tatter speechless, him shaking his head is absolutely crazy. And even when I don't have the symptoms and I am on the ice and like my teammates are saying, hey, you could really play. We'd love if you play, you look great. That's so nice to hear, but it's also hard to at the same time because it's like, yeah, I'd love to, but I, you guys don't understand what I'm kind of to go through with my brain here. Like I'm feeling great, but the image doesn't look great. And even like you said, um, the doctors were astounded and people were calling miracle and all that. And even people were questioning me, uh, thinking that I was just faking it or stuff like that, but I truly wasn't. And uh, I was just very, very fortunate to have these circumstances. And yeah, there's no rhyme or reason. So I just have to make the most of these chance I'm given an opportunity. But even like in the book, I said how I was like passing all these tests and doing really well and breaking records and um, doctors were astounded. And the crazy part about it was that I thought I had the wrong MRI image of my brain. And because that's like, just, I just honestly thought that was what it was. There was mixed ups before then. I, I honestly thought that was probably the reason I was like, okay, well, I obviously had a brain injury. I don't remember four and a half days. And I obviously had like different personality while I was in hospital. And even as I was getting out of the hospital, I still had different personality. I was slowly getting back to myself. But obviously, if I'm doing this well, I must not have that severe. So we ended up getting another scan. And that was when it really hit me just how lucky I was because the scan came back. 
and it was the exact same as the one on April 9th, 2018. And it was a year later. So I think that was when it really hit me just how lucky I am and how I needed to calculate risks and everything in life, but still try to enjoy it to the fullest. So yeah, I'm forever grateful for my condition that I'm in right now and lucky to be able to pursue my dreams and passions still without any significant difficulties. I have to ask, um, Wayne, Wayne Gretzky wrote the foreword for your book. Uh, you know, what, what does it mean to you to have somebody of that magnitude be a part of this whole process? Yeah, it's pretty cool to see him on the front cover there. Um, it, it's just unbelievable how closely knit the hockey world is and how many people came together to and how there's so much love and support for the Broncos. I seriously am, like I said, so grateful for that. And to have a legend, literally probably the best known hockey player ever to play the game on the cover is just, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Never would have imagined in a million years. And so even the Gretzky family has been amazing to all the Broncos and all the NHL players have been incredible too. It's seriously has been, it's showed me that the hockey world is super closely knit and there's tons of good people and it's filled with good people. And I think that was one of the big things I was able to take away, which is how great our hockey world is. And yeah, sometimes we do have a bad rep, but if you really look deep, there are tons of great people in it. And I'm fortunate enough to have met lots of them. Do you still, uh, do you still tune into a lot of the hockey games going on right now? And if so, Obviously, we're in Ontario. As you mentioned, you're in Saskatchewan. What do you think of the uh, the Canadian division? Is it something that we should keep going forward? <laughs> yeah, no, I still tune in now. I really enjoy it. I love the Canadian division, not going to lie. I love the rivalries that there are, and there's lots of bad blood, and it's kind of cool to have a Canadian division. I would recommend it for the future for sure, but I love the Vegas Golden Knights. They're my team, them and the Caps. I am starting to move to a little bit of Toronto fan, not going to lie. I'm starting to give some rep. I've lived there for two years, going to be there for hopefully another four. So starting to give them a little bit of love too. Um, but yeah, I absolutely love the Canadian division and uh, hoping that it's going to be, well, I know it's going to be super exciting playoffs here. It's so different. And it's never like any other season before. So uh, the guys are playing like every single second day, pretty much every day or second day. And uh, playoffs is going to be an absolute grind. So I think, whoever can remain healthy and is the deepest is going to win it all. Well, we are very glad that you're slowly coming over the Leafs nation right now. So that is a huge <laughs> bonus for us. But Caleb, once again, thank you so much for coming on to the show to talk about your book. When I think of perseverance, positivity, and hope, I hope that everyone out there thinks of you and this book as well. Uh, we wish nothing but the best of you for the future. And thank you again for coming to talk with us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the kind words and you guys are doing amazing things too. And definitely wishing the Leafs have a great postseason or playoff run here. We're looking forward to that. So uh, thank you very much for having me on here though. It's an honor. I really appreciate the kind words. Thanks again, Caleb. Thank you. Well, Peter, I know that um, you, you were super happy to get him on. You've already read his book. I'm still working on it. Yeah. Um, just an unbelievable guy and, and the positivity that radiated off of him with everything that he talked about. I think that's, that's what I took away from this, this talk with him is just, he's taking it step by step. He's taking it day by day and he's understanding that things are going to come at you in life that 
you know, you have no, no rain over. This is, this mm. is, this is how life happens. And you, you don't have control sometimes and you have to understand that. And, and that's that for me, I, I mean, that's what I'm taking away from it. Yeah. That's a recurring theme throughout the whole entire book. And, you know, like we all go through tough periods in our life and, Reading this book, it does shed some light on some outlets that you can have to try and find some light in the darkness. And Caleb, with his genuine, compassionate, and positive outlook on life and just his overall personality, he's just a really great, great kid to talk to. I mean, super happy to have him on. But yeah, it, reading that book, it does it does put things into perspective. And I thank him for reading that because it did help me out as well to try and like, if there are things in that aren't going right, I have this book to turn to and have him writing it to help not just myself, but you, everybody else out there that's reading it. And if you don't have it, I suggest you go out and buy it. It is a fantastic read, very emotional, but it is well worth taking the time to understand his message and what he was trying to get across. Yeah. And if you, if you're even you know, thinking twice about it. I mean, this is a book that's been number one in Can- in Canada uh, when it comes to bestsellers for five weeks. So, mm-hmm. I mean, just just give it an opportunity to to resonate with you. This is a guy who's been through so much trauma in his life, and and you know, he's still found a way to come out on the positive side of things. And and that's and now he's now his goal is to help others kind of reduce their pain. So, yeah, just unbelievable um i i i honestly honestly say this with um i i think it was one of the greatest interviews we've had yet and i think he was uh he was just a stand-up guy coming on and and chatting to us about everything that he's been through so caleb we appreciate it and uh hopefully everybody enjoyed the interview that said let's jump over to our maple leafs talk a fair amount to talk about when it comes to the Maple Leafs this week. Um, and we would love to get some Jets on here to tell us about the dirty, dirty <laughs> Maple Leafs. Um, Thornton was fined. Um, obviously, we'll talk about Hyman and Bogosian both being injured. But Thornton going after Nikolai Ehlers at the end of the second Jets game this week. Let's jump right into the the, the Jets <laughs> series because there's so much to talk, to break down in the, in this uh, this series over the last couple of days. Yeah, and again, jump into Caleb for a quick second. He's slowly becoming a Leaf fan, so good on you, Caleb. Again, really appreciate it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, this was a crazy week, man. Like, holy, I mean. Where, where, where do we want to start? I mean, you just talked about Thornton and Ehlers right now. I mean, I'm just going to talk about the suspension really quickly. I'm like, you really think that's worth a fine, what he did? I mean, yeah, it looks like the butt end got up on, like, Perot's, uh face. But at the same time, penalty, absolutely worth a fine. Come on. Players in the league are doing 10 times worse than what he did, and they're getting away scot-free. But that's just me. But yeah, I, I, people were losing their mind on Twitter with the reactions to like, why Nick Ehlers specifically? I didn't see anything happen until like that little incident where it was like he cross-checked him, he dropped the stick, he gets the stick back, 
cross-checks him again, gets the penalty. Penalty's over. Him and Ehlers are still barking at it. He goes into the corner. They're chirping. Ehlers seems to have, like, speared him. And then they both get sent back into the box. And then Thornton is chirping at him nonstop. And Ehlers isn't having it at all. So that's just my run play-by-play rundown of what happened. I I don't know why Ehlers specifically. I mean, like, listen, I, I love Nick Ehlers. If you want to take one of their best players out, that's probably a smart move. Get him out of the box, try and antagonize him a little bit because he was playing like their best player out there. But at the same time, why? I do not know. I honestly, like, I'm just saying this from look, watching things from afar, but I think Nikolai Ehlers is one of the most underrated trash talkers in the entire game. Oh, he was laughing at Thornton all the way. That's what I mean. So I think I think <laughs> something was said at some point on the ice where Ehlers, you know, might have said something to Thornton, pissed him off, and got him got into his head. And all of a sudden, you have Thornton, who, yeah, you know what, took off one of their best players, got in his head. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the the clip, I, I I think he was just telling him which Kleenexes to use after they lost their second in a row to the Maple <laughs> Leafs. Look, you were fighting for first oh, in, the, in the division. You were fighting for first in the division, and you couldn't get it done two nights in a row. Yeah. And and you let guys get in your head. You let guys get in your head. And this will go back to Simmons' comment about players falling on their goalies and how he, that pissed him off. He's sick and tired of seeing players intentionally fall on their goalies, which I love. And I think you know what? I think you bring Simmons back at the end of this year because this mm-hmm. is a team guy. This is a team guy that that goes out there and just wants to play and wants to play for the guys wearing the same color jersey as he is. I I, I think that what Nick Ehlers did is more of a find than what Thornton did. But yeah, um, side note there. But well, we've yeah. talked about that. That's the same as Neil Pionk and and his his hack at at uh, Hyman earlier oh, this God. year. Yeah, I mean, that. where where was the where was the uh, the consistency on that call? Like there was nothing there. There was no fine. You know what's funny? Everyone was complaining about Rasmus Sandin's hit on Blake Wheeler, saying that, oh, like, I, 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 I hope to God not, but, like, if people were complaining about that hit, what would you have done if you were Rasmus Sandin? If you absorbed or if you didn't absorb that hit and stand your ground— from Blake Wheeler coming in, who's got some height and who's got the height and weight advantage over Rasmus Sandin. Sandin would have gone head first flying into the boards. Can we can we talk about that hit for a second though? Because let's do it. He, here was my thing. So everyone's everyone everyone on social media was talking about how it was a reverse hit. People go back and play the goddamn tape. <laughs> Sandine stood there and stuck his ass out and just like pummeled he saw Blake Wheeler. Wheeler come. He there was, was no not, reverse. Yeah, there was no reverse hit. He ain't Matthew There was no Chuck. reverse hit. No, he he literally stood there and just absorbed the hit and knocked Wheeler down. Yeah, it wasn't a reverse hit. This is the yeah. guy who 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 is much smaller but has tree trunk legs and just stood his ground. I think it was it was an unbelievable play on Sandine. And this is a guy who's fighting for a spot in the lineup when Bogosian comes back. Mm-hmm. For I'm me gonna... right now, Sandine deserves a spot in that lineup, regardless of what 
what you know other players are doing, Sandine is one of your top four defensemen right now. Oh yeah. And I'm going to plug Alex Hobson's article right now. Sandine emerging, Sandine's emergence makes Riley expendable. I'm not going to get too much into Morgan Riley, but read his article. It is a fantastic article about the play of Sandine and how it ultimately makes that the least could trade Riley. And if Rasmus Sandine plays the way that he has in these last two games, oh man, do they have a really solid two-way puck moving defenseman on their hands right now. And I'm just going to say this back in December, he made it a point that he wanted it, that he got stronger and judging from that hit. Yeah. Rasmus Sandin got stronger because he took down Blake Wheeler and Blake Wheeler is not an easy guy to take down. No, absolutely. And, and to go back to Alex's uh, article for a second, folks, read past the headline, okay? Oh, yes. Read yes. the article. Don't read the headline. Don't read don't read all the all the, you know, section headlines. Read the goddamn article and <laughs> and hear what Alex has to say. He's a fantastic writer over at the Hockey Writers. He's got a lot to say. Um and he has great points. I mean, Sandine, it's it's time to br- to unleash Sandine on the NHL. It's mm-hmm. time to bring him up and see what he's capable of doing. Um, you know, this is a guy who got hit hard in his his first year with the Leafs, and and got taken out of the lineup, sent back down, and now he he's stronger. He's he's developed. He's he wants to make that leap, and he is the guy that you need to put in that lineup right now and find a way to fit him in. Yeah, and this isn't because you know Patrick Sandine liked an Instagram comment or tweet. Shout out to Patrick Sandine. Yeah, this isn't about the fact that we got his stamp of approval, but literally, Rasmus Sandine is rising to the occasion. And with the fact that Zach Bogosian is out right now, like you mentioned, he's making the most of this opportunity. And honestly, he is running away with it. If Bogosian does come back, what's going to happen with Travis Dermott on that left hand side? Because it was him on the left and Bogosian on the right. Do you put Rasmus Sandine in over Travis Dermott at this point, given the fact that he has been consistent? He has been playing the way that, you know, Kyle Dubas expected of him. Even on the power play, when he got his opportunities, he's playing better on the power play. He's doing what Morgan Riley should be doing with the movement, with the angling, with his distribution. He's doing everything that Riley should be doing. And he's already and he was even on the top power play at one point. He got a look there and he looked pretty good. Yeah, hear me hear me out though. Like I, I get there's a lot of chatter about Dermot being the guy that take that's taken out of the lineup, but past the first twenty, twenty-five games, I mean, Justin Hall has, has seemed to trickle off a little bit. Yeah. And, and it's not a knock at at the fact that you know, I don't think Justin Hall's putting up the numbers, whatever. You know, he had a great offensive output, you know, a bunch of assists in the first 20, 25 games. This is this is saying that, like, defensively, he's just had a few blunders that make you question whether he's ready to be a top-pairing guy. The consistency isn't there. But if you take him out, do you move Bogosian to that top four? And then you keep Riley Dermott as a third pairing? I mean, that's a good question. That's good. I, I think for what you're paying him, Riley needs to be in your top four. Oh, absolutely. 
He hasn't played like it, but you need him in your top four. I think Sandine's in the top four. Muzzin's in your top four. Um, from there, or, I mean, I... I was just about to say, or you put Sandine with Muzzin. Yeah. Give him the opportunity. This is a kid who's thriving right now. Mm-hmm. Give him the opportunity. I will say this. The last two games... Dermot and Sandine complement each other perfectly. I mean, but both of them have great composure, great patience, and they can move the puck up, but they can even handle the body. They don't look like they're big, but they can handle the physical play. And they, again, I've loved that pairing at this point. So it's, it, it, he, again, they got death, and the death is going to be tough to manage at this point. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I just, I think for me, the, the part that I loved so much was that through all of this, the Jets were calling the Leafs dirty. <laughs> That's just, funny. That's I, funny. You're a funny guy, you know that? I'm sorry, still, I, I, had, I, had to do, I had to do a Goodfellas reference there. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, like, I'm trying to figure it out because, I mean, you're talking about a Leafs team that is 24th right now in uh in penalty penalty minutes 24th in a 31 league or 31 team league and you're calling them dirty um you know where the winnipeg jets right now are 22nd so they they're sitting just above uh, just above toronto in terms of penalties and and you know what they've done so far this year but oh i just I kind of like the the moniker of being a dirty team. I kind of like it. You know, this is a talk about articles over at the Hockey Writers. Kevin Armstrong wrote about how, you know, why are the Toronto Maple Leafs such a hated franchise? Yeah. And I kind of like that, you know, there's a reason right now to hate them in terms of what the Jets are saying. I don't think they're the dirtiest team. I don't think they're a dirty team at all. I think they're throwing their weight around for the first time in a number of years. And we're finally seeing the fire that Joe Thornton can bring to a lineup. I love it. We all remember the beard pulling at center <laughs> ice and, and Nazem Kadri ripping out part of Joe Thornton's beard. We all remember that. Oh, That's man. the fire we wanted to see when he came into the Toronto Maple Leafs lineup. I was actually at a bar when I was watching that game with some of my friends when that incident happened, and we were all looking at each other. We're like, did that just happen? What's but, a bar? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, well, well <laughs> Andrew, it's this place where people go together and watch a game and drink beer. But, yeah, you can't do that now. Sounds but um, like another lifetime. <laughs> definitely, yeah. Um, but, yeah, like you, I find this very, like, really hilarious. I'm just going to throw some other stats out there because you mentioned they're 24th ranked in penalty penalty minutes taken, total pins. Total penalties per game, 708, ranked 27th. Penalties taken, 143, ranked 26. Major penalties, 7, ranked 26. This is a team that's ranked below 25 in all the other categories in regards to penalties taken and everything like that. You're telling me that, it, like you said, this is a dirty team. Uh, like it, what's funny is 
How many dirty plays did Pierre-Luc Dubois make during this two-game series? I think it counted at least four or five, especially the interference call on Matthews. And it seemed like, you know, he's looking at the ref like, what did I do? Dude, you nearly knocked the guy off his balance when he had didn't have control of the puck whatsoever. And that was a dangerous hit because it was right along the boards. So to say that in regards to like the previous stats, to say that they are a dirty team, even though the Jets are just slightly higher than them in the other categories, it's a stupid comment to make. I mean, for and I, you said this too, for years the Leafs have been a punching bag for the league and for every other team out there. They've taken hits and walked away even though they should have fought back. And right now we're seeing this team have the backbone, backbone with players like Joe Thornton, like Wayne Simmons, I'm even going to throw in Zach Bogosian at times because even he's had enough of some of the crap that's going on in front of the net. Like, we haven't seen this type of physicality since, you know, the early thousands. So when the Leafs throw a few hits and start to play physical, they're now considered a a dirty team when teams like the new, when the teams like the Jets, Boston Bruins, and every other playoff team out there are doing the same thing. This, to me, is a double standard for the Leafs. Oh, everybody can hit the Leafs, but when the Leafs make a hit, it's dirty, even though it's a clean hit, just like the Rasmus Sandin went on Blake Wheeler. Give me a break. Like, come on. This, that's really stupid. And I'm glad that Simmons said what he said, because enough is enough. It's the main reason why they brought him and Thornton in. And I know I've been critical of Wayne and Joe, especially the past few weeks where it looked like, you know, their play was, you know, on the outs and things were off and things weren't going their way. But these last few games for Thornton and Simmons, where they are laying the body and doing their job, getting in on the offense every now and then, again, you're not going to expect a whole lot. But if they chip in every now and then like they have recently, man, they are going to thrive in that playoff environment. And those two games, if the playoffs started, the Leafs have the edge. Hey, you throw me a, a clip of Simmons dragging Dubois out of the crease every <laughs> other day, and he's worth every goddamn penny that the Leafs are paying him right now. I, take I love that. I, I love, love that. I love Absolutely. seeing him get right in Dubois' face while Dubois is on his knees and just just yelling at him, you know. I know you don't have to you don't have to guess what he was saying. You know damn well what he was saying and <laughs> I loved every little bit of it. I think Simmons is the guy that you bring back this offseason. I've said it once, I'll say it again, I'll say it a hundred goddamn times. Bring this guy back to the Maple Leafs. He adds so much flavor, so much spice and man, I'm all, I I'm I'm on the Wayne train and I love it. Woo woo. <laughs> Added the whistle and all. Yeah, I mean the fact that, again, I think, and I think fans are shocked because they haven't seen this type of aggression since that early thousand days where they had the Bay bullies in Domi, uh, Darcy Tucker, Shane Corson, and the likes of everybody else on that team that like threw their weight around. Like I, you haven't seen this type of play, and this is the type of play that does win playoff games. I mean, the Washington Capitals had a lot of skill when they won in 2017, but they had the grit from Tom Wilson, from players like Devontae Smith-Pelly, Lars Eller, throwing their weight around. You got to be physical in the playoffs. 
and we saw how much the Leafs haven't been physical in the playoffs. The offense played a factor, but man, they always lost. And it was always in the critical games where the intensity is up. Thornton and Simmons, hell, I'm even going to throw in Spezza in there because, you know, Jason Spezza's doing Jason Spezza things. But Adam Brooks on the fourth line center, man, I'm loving him more and more every single time. And I know that they picked up uh, Riley Nash. But I, I think you still got to keep Adam Brooks in or give him some fair chances because he's playing really well, especially with, you know, players like Spezza and uh, Thornton. Yeah, look, until until Nash is ready to go, I think Brooksy's your guy. I think, I mean, look at this kid go. Like, yeah, small, rugged, but not afraid to get into the grimy areas and, and finds ways to open up the ice for his line mates. And I think, I mean, that's huge. And um that shorthanded goal against vancouver yeah 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 and i mean this is the guy who who's grinded his way through the ahl and you kind of talked about spets a little bit and i want to touch on spets and what he's done for the marlies and the toronto the toronto ahl affiliate um this just kind of broke in the last couple of days but Spets has kind of spearheaded this this movement uh, among some of the top play top paid um, leaf players to help kind of give the Toronto Marlies players a little bit of a boost financially. Um, yeah. Obviously, the HL has been kind of hit in terms of the financial stability of it uh, through these COVID times, and and I mean, you want to talk about team guys, and I mentioned Wayne Simmons, but what a team guy for Jason Spezza to spearhead this movement to try and get a little bit more money for their AHL affiliate. And and one of the things he said is, you know, we look out for our own. And, I mean, does that not give you just a little chill up your spine when you hear something like that from a guy who's who's been around the league, who's who's been that veteran presence, who's still you know, grinded it out when Babcock wanted to sit him in, in opening night. Um, and, and now he's, he's having a, a pretty solid season for the Maple Leafs. And, and still what he's thinking about is making sure that the guys below him get paid. I love Jason Spezza. I mean, if this doesn't speak to the, the core values and character that the that Kyle Dubas wanted instill by bringing players like him in mission accomplished because you just achieved that with Jason Spezza having him to do this and even John Tavares um I'm reading something uh, again off the score from Brandon Marin that Jason that John Tavares said Spezza was the one that you know started this initiative that bring this to the forefront and you know what even players that are made the that are currently on the contract right now, any way to help anybody out, this is a time where, you know, you come together and help those that, you know, are that seem to be struggling. And, you know, given the fact that the AHL, you know, they the contracts are a little bit lesser compared to the NHL, this is this is absolutely great. And even uh, Sheldon Keefe said it speaks to the character of the group right now. They're they're not about themselves. They're looking after everyone in the organization, whether you're at the NHL level or the AHL level. You're all, you're still a part of this Maple Leaf team. We look out for one another, and that to me, honestly, 
if Jason Spezza is taking is willing to take seven hundred thousand for the next four years, I will sign the four year a four year contract or four year contract with seven hundred thousand a year. I am all for that. Keep him here, please, Kyle Dubas, if you're listening to this podcast right now. Yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, just unbelievable what uh, what a guy like him brings to the lineup. Um, you know, we've talked about his his veteran presence, what he's been able to do for them this year mm-hmm. and, and even last year. Um, and you know, obviously, the AHL Marlies are still still in COVID protocol. They're yeah. quarantined right now. And you think about guys like Rich Clune and and you know um, Kenny Agostino and and guys like that that you know maybe don't see the financial side and the fan- financial benefit of playing hockey right now, but. This is this is just a true stand-up move by him um, to to do what he's doing and and uh, yeah I'm I'm with you I I say him and Simmons bring them back as long as they want to stay um, you know that kind of character in the lineup just really develops your young guys in a way that uh, you know nothing else does so um, the, I'm all for it these are the feel-good stories that you'd love to hear. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Especially with everything going on right now, for us to even hear these stories, um, to to bear witness to this kind of stuff, it's just it's it's promising. It really is, and it, it gives you that little bit of hope that you know has been basically ripped out of us for the last eighteen months. Definitely, yeah. Um, that said, a couple of quick notes: Joe Thornton became the oldest Leaf to <laughs> score a goal. Um, I bust out the, the Thornton Jersey for that one. What a, what an absolute beauty. He passed, uh, yeah, he passed Alan Stanley who scored a goal at 41 years, 252 days. Joe Thornton was 41 and 296 days old. So what a big, big accomplishment for big jumbo Joe Thornton on top of that, Travis Dermott played his 200th NHL game for the Maple Leafs. Mitch Marner scored his 100th NHL goal. And an interesting note here, Matthews. Um, let me just pull this up here because I know I'll, I'll butcher it if I don't have it in front of me. But um, Matthews scored has, has scored five goals against Connor Hellebuck this season. It is among the top for most goals scored against a reigning Vesna Trophy winner since 1995-96. The only players who have done – who have – accomplish that feat scored more against a rating Vesna trophy winner are pulse nasty against Mika Kiprasov in 2006 07 he scored seven goals Ryan Malone against Martin Brodeur in 07 08 scored six goals Jason Arnott scored six goals in 06 07 against the same Mika Kiprasov and Sergei Fedorov scored six goals in 96 97 against Jim Carrey wow and not not the uh, not the actor. <laughs> Smoking. No, nah, I'm joking. But uh, yeah, I mean, well, obviously Connor Hellebuck is a really damn good goalie. There's no other way around it. But it speaks to the testament of you know Matthew's ability to be a, a little level goal scorer. I mean, simple as that. If, if anybody who complains about Austin Matthews and that. Oh, you know, he's he's only scoring because uh, it's the North Division. I love that argument. It's, I love that argument. <laughs> it for God's sakes, man, he's going up against the reigning Vesna ch- champ. Like, f- give credit where credit's due, and he's, give and put 
some respect on Austin Matthews' name right now, who is leading the league in goals right now and still continuing to separate himself from the rest of the pack. Like, come on. Listen, he's played games against Carey Price. He's played games against Jake Allen. He's played games against Connor Hellebuck. He's played games against uh, Jacob Markstrom. He's played games against Braden Holpe and Thatcher Demko. Like these aren't mm-hmm. these are legitimate goalies. Yeah, what you can argue about their stats and how it's not great, but they've had success in the past. He could be going up against a guy like Swayman in Boston if we were in our regular division. <laughs> are you kidding Absolutely. me? Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Like you want to play Washington and Ilya Samsonov? Come on. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. Wojtek Vanacek, you want to play him? I mean, you might be talking about Matthews having a 60-goal season at that point. To be honest, it doesn't matter who who's in that. Matthews is going to get his looks. Whether it's a goal or not, he's going to get his prime scoring chances. He's playing a full season with Mitch Marner. I guarantee you he's going to be a 50-goal scorer anytime during a regular 82-game season when he's playing a full season with Mitch Marner. Absolutely. And I do believe that he's on a pretty damn good pace. If this was an adjusted 86, 86, the 82 game season, he would be at 62 goals and 105 points. That's only because he's playing in the North division though. Yeah. North division, man, that North division, easy, easy way out, you know, must be. Well, I'm I'm just going to say this. I'm not going to lie. What's an easier division right now, the West or the North? Because Vegas Golden Knights and Colorado Avalanche had their just basically decimated that division. Yeah, no, hundred percent, and that that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, I don't give a shit what what division he's in. This guy's scoring on a torrid pace. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable what he's been able to do, and it doesn't matter. These are all NHL goalies. They're in the NHL for a reason. Yeah, like that. It's such a it's such a BS argument. I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm over it. Yep. I <laughs> challenge. Good. I challenge anybody that wants to make that argument. Bring if, it onto my Twitter feed. Let's see how I handle it. <laughs> if you want to say that, like, oh, I could do the same thing as Austin Matthews. Yeah, I can. When I'm playing like easy mode in NHL, be a pro mode. But like, even so, that's a video game. Austin Matthews is doing this in real life. Get but it gives you it gives you so much confidence when you play in easy mode. Yeah, I, I actually do kind of feel special. <laughs> and considering the fact that I haven't played a NHL game in quite some time, I'm going to have to go back to easy at some point to get my mechanics back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so Peter, with that, um, any any good social media stories that you have for us over the last week? Uh, I know I have one from Hugh Toronto. I'm I'm guessing that's not his actual name, but I I wrote about how everyone was being a little bit too hard on Thornton recently, and mm-hmm. um, this was prior to him scoring his goal uh, the other night against the Winnipeg Jets, and he wrote back and said, "Oh wow, his tenth assist of of the year." So I wrote back after he scored their goal, and I said, "Thornton now the oldest Leaf player to score a goal." This tweet didn't age well, Hugh. Um, if, if you're listening, Hugh, I look forward to our next interaction. It was fun. I, I 
didn't see anything worthwhile, but I did mention on the Leafs Lounge that there was one tweet. I can't, I, I, it was talking about best actors of all time, and it had like Morgan Freeman, Daniel Day-Lewis, Tom Hanks, and one of the options, Denzel Washington, and the other option was any, any player that's been hit by a maple leaf. <laughs> so... I, I, I found that I thought I, I got a pretty good laugh out of that and so did everybody else on the Leafs lounge. So that to oh, me, like, I mean, let's face it. If you're in a category as Tom Hanks and everybody else that are really solid actors, I mean, it is the Oscar time now. Right. So Absolutely. perfect timing to come out with that tweet with some other big name actors. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the one thing we didn't mention yet uh, before we close this episode out um, the Leafs, obviously, Matthews, Marner, having a ch- had a chance to play with uh, Patrick Marlowe, did a, a, a short video, um, oh, you know, basically thanking him <laughs> for his uh, his influence in the room <laughs> and outside of the room and making them the professionals they are today. And in the midst of all this conversation, out walks Joe Thornton in the buck. Just in his birthday suit. Oh, I I can't can't even say it with a straight face because, um, it was just well, so perfect. It was just knew, so perfect. You knew it was planned, but at the same time, you you just see like Austin and Mitch talk, and then they slowly turn back, and they just see Joe Thornton there, and it's like that is like the perfect reaction when you think you're doing something well. You look back and you see somebody just photobomb you at the worst possible time. Still, Man, I, I hate, I hate to say it, but if he, it like took me back to some of my high school days, where like you know you go to the party and you're the one that's had a few too many, and all of a sudden you're you're running down the street. <laughs> oh man. Oh, yeah. Like, kind of like old school. Yeah. Will Ferrell, we're going straight yeah. through the quad. Break the tank. <laughs> classic movie. There. Speaking of Oscars, classic movie. Even though I don't think that was up for an Oscar. <laughs> Yeah, good old Will Ferrell. Good old Will Ferrell. Love him. With that, we close out another great episode of our show, Sticks in the Six, episode 37 of the podcast. You can follow Peter on Twitter at P. Barracchini. You can follow myself at Andrew G. Forbes or the pod at Sticks in the Six pod, S-T-I-X-I-N-T-H-E-6-I-X-P-O-D. You can head over to Spotify or iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast to download our latest episode. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so we can bring you all kinds of content going forward. Peter, as mentioned in previous episodes, we are looking to start a YouTube channel that hopefully will be coming very soon so you can tune into some of our key interviews over the last few weeks on youtube as well uh that will will include caleb dahlgren's uh from this week so look for that as we jump into another stream of uh of podcasting here i am also looking at potentially getting some apparel up and going with our logo on it so be sure to use that i did have some golf balls but as we all know here in ontario golf is out of the question for the next few <laughs> weeks thank you doug ford oh man oh man oh man <laughs> uh with that said until next time that's it for peter and i we look forward to having you back next week for episode 38 thanks again absolutely stay safe everyone